Hi, this is Twyla, and I'm part of the worship team here at Christian Life Austin. I'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Today, Staff Pastor Reed Johnson begins a three-part series about Jonah. In this series, we'll dive into his book and discover how Jonah's story sometimes mirrors our own. And now, here's Pastor Reed. begin with just a little confession. That's healthy, right? To do some confession. So we're going to start out with some confession tonight. I'm going to move this back just a hair. Start out with some confession and, and I want you to raise your hand on this. I'll raise my hand too. Okay, we're going to be all honest and vulnerable for a minute this evening. How many of you in the time that you could walk to the time that you could drive, so from walking age to about the time you got your driver's license, at some point at least one time, ran away from home. Ran it, look at you, room full of rebels. I love it. I love it. We could probably all come and share some fun stories. I ran away from home two times. Two times. One time was uh, with my best friend. My best friend wanted someone to run away with him. And uh, so my best friend Brad, we ran away from his home, and we went, we went across the street, and we climbed a tall tree, and we just watched as his parents frantically searched the neighborhood looking for lost kids and just giggled in the tree. It was fantastic. The second time was a little more serious. I have great parents. Love my parents. They're, they're kind and compassionate and caring. But that day, something had happened. If you run away, typically you're mad at one parent. And I don't know what they did, but I was upset. So I, I took my backpack from school and I put money and toys and food, the only things you need to live and survive, and I loaded that backpack, I'm eight or nine years old, loaded that backpack up, and we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac, and, and so there was a big, huge field at the end of the street. So I didn't really know where I was going, I just knew I wanted to get out of here. Isn't that true? When we run away, typically you don't have a place you're going to, you're just trying to get away from. Right? You may not have a place you're going, you just know you've got to get away from here. So I, I go down to the end of the field, that seemed like a pretty good place to hide, to, to run away for the day, and I'm sitting in this dry creek bed for, for what seemed like hours. And once I felt like I'd made my parents suffer enough, I, I started heading home. It's getting dark. It seemed like I'd been there a long, long time. Started heading home. And I had this dramatic presentation played out in my mind that there was going to be police cars in the driveway and my mom and dad crying on the couch and neighbors forming an, a search team for Reed and I had this whole scenario, like the whole community is going to rally around my missing person report. And I got home, there weren't police cars, and I got in the house, and there wasn't one person that even noticed I was gone all day. My mom was cooking, my dad was watching Sports Center. They never knew I ran away. To this day, my mother still does not know that I ran away from home. So mom, if you're listening to the podcast on clcaustin.com, shame on you. You didn't even know. You didn't even know. Way to go, mom. I love my mom. She's a good mom. But that day, she didn't, she didn't know. So, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Now, let me ask you a, uh, another question. I don't want hands on this one. No hands, please. All right? I'll raise my hand, but you don't have to raise yours. Please don't raise your hands. How many of you, at some point in your life, from driver's license time forward, ran away from God? You ran away from God. And typically, typically that happens... Uh, Again, 16 years of age and older. 
And I don't know why we do it, but a lot of times we do it, and it may be just an aspect of God's will that we wrestle with, and we don't really like this part of God's will or God's word, and so we're just going to run away from that particular area of God, and we're going to run away from Him altogether. And again, it may not be holistically running from God, but you're going to run away from part of who God is. And, who he, and, and even at the dead of night, you may sit at your ceiling staring, saying, well, in my heart of hearts, I believe that God is real, but right now I just don't want Him in my life. I think a lot of us in this room can relate that at some point you've run away from God, you've run into a relationship you shouldn't have gotten into, into a business transaction you shouldn't have been involved with. I, I, I can tell you two, two stories that come to mind. I was a youth pastor for seven years and did youth ministry, and I had a young man named Corbin that came to me, and uh, he had two best friends that were identical twins to each other. And Corbin came to me really concerned one night, and he said, I, I, I'm really worried about my friends, and I knew who they were. They used to be a part of the youth group. They had since moved and moved to a different city. And he said that uh, they're atheists. They're claiming to be atheists. What? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, yeah, they're atheists. They're atheists. What do you mean they're atheists? I mean, these guys were worshiping Jesus three months ago in this building. And I, yeah, they got messed up in some, some nasty narcotics and some dangerous drugs. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. I understand now what's going on here. Because these guys worship Jesus, but then they started getting into some drugs that they liked. And those two can't really coexist in God's world, so... I'm going to just say that uh, I don't believe in God so that I can do these drugs and that's how I'm going to work my way through this because if I don't believe in God, then I don't have this Holy Spirit that's working on And that's just how they fooled themselves, but that was, they were running from God so they could pursue something they knew God wouldn't approve of. I had another girl that was in our, our praise team, Randy, and she, she was awesome. Awesome. I mean, she was a leader on our praise team. She led worship for us every week. She was one of those I didn't ever have to worry about. She was always going to be doing the right thing at the right time. She was bringing people to church. She was our greatest missionary in our church. And I started hearing from some of her peers. They kept saying, well, I've heard that she's not only leading worship on Wednesdays, but she's leading the party scene on Friday and Saturday night. I'm like, her? Really? Are you kidding me? So I had a good relationship with her, so my wife and I brought her over to the house. I'll never forget this. It, broke, it really broke my heart. And I, I brought her over, and I, I'm thinking the conversation's going to go down. I'm going to convict her of her sin. The Holy Spirit's going to be moving in the room, and it's all, we're all going to sell this. By the end of the night, she's going to say, thank you, Reed, for bringing me to my senses. And, uh, and she got in the room. She got in our house, and I said, what, you know, what's going on? She said, well, I know the difference between right and wrong and I've been doing right for 18 years, and I just kind of want to do wrong. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, I know the difference between good and bad, and I just I kind of want to be bad. What do you even say to that? I don't even know how you respond to that. I was, okay. Like, I, <laughs> I still don't even know if I responded correctly. I tried to let the Spirit speak for me, but I don't, I don't even remember what came out because I'm still baffled. But she just wanted to run away. And we do, we run away from God, and I don't know why we do it, but we do it. And it may be a particular issue that causes you to run. But even so, God is on the back burner for you, and we all run from God for, for similar reasons. A lot of us were afraid to follow God because it may mean we'll miss out on some of the fun. It may mean we'll miss out on something or someone, and we don't want to miss out on something that could be out there. And maybe even today it's a little bit weird for you to be in church because if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I'm... I'm kind of running from God now. I'm not real sure why I'm even in the building tonight. Because God's in the rearview mirror for me. He's in my peripheral vision. I'm really running right now, if I'm honest. Some of us just don't want to be told what to do. And we're afraid that if we surrender to God, we might miss out on, on something out there. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a girl. Like, 
God, everybody can be a Christian, but not everybody can look that good. You know, so I'm going I'm to date her, Lord. I'm gonna run. I know you wouldn't approve of this relationship, but I'm going to date her, and then I'm going to bring her to church. And God's like, oh, you found a loophole. Congratulations, you know. Like we're fooling God. But we'll get mixed up in stuff we shouldn't get mixed up in, and we run from God. Like I said, it may be a particular issue. It may be, it may be all of us. In fact, uh, stealing a line from Philip Yancey, Philip Yancey says, sometimes we confuse life with God, and when life doesn't go well, then we don't want any part of God. Isn't that true? We confuse life with God, and if life isn't going well, I don't want anything to do with God. And so some people run when life gets difficult. Over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to study the story of the preeminent runner in the Bible, the story of Jonah. Jonah is, uh, is an incredible story. It's a book that shows the extent of God's grace and God's mercy, not only to Jonah, but to all people. And I'm honored to be able to kick off the series with you tonight. Now, I know as soon as I say the word Jonah, most of us think about an image like this. You think about a big whale or a big fish. And some of you may even go, Reed, are you serious? Like in 2015, you're going to make me sit in church and think that a whale or a big fish swallowed a man and this man lived in the belly of this beast for three days and then the beast spits him out. You're telling me that I'm going to believe that in 2015? Are you kidding me? This is just a fun little fictional story in the Bible. I'm going to give you an out in a second if that's you tonight. Okay. First of all, let me just say I believe the Bible to be true. I believe the Bible to be true. The whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. I believe this book is true, and I believe this story is true. I believe the story is true. There's a couple of reasons I believe the historicity of this story. One of the reasons is this took place, most of Jonah, the book of Jonah took place in a city called Nineveh. Not Narnia, Nineveh. We'd have a problem if it was Narnia, but it's Nineveh. Nineveh's a real place that existed, that people lived, real people lived there. So that helps me to go, okay... Real people, real place existed. And Jonah has also mentioned several other places in the Bible. In fact, Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 12 talks about Jonah. He's making this theological point and he, he alludes to Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. And I think Jesus believed that Jonah was a real person and it was a real event. So I believe this to be true. And let me just say this for those of you that may have some doubt tonight. If there's a chance that God is real... If there's a chance, and if there's a chance that this God created the world in seven days or seven dispensations of time or, or, or he initiated the Big Bang or he pushed the first domino or whatever your thought of creation, if, if that's possible, that God exists, that God created the world, then is it possible that he could sustain the life of one human being inside the belly of a fish for three days? Amen. Possibly, yeah, absolutely. If God is real, possibly. And if God created the world, if that's a possibility, then we have to admit that there's a possibility that a miracle could occur and he could sustain life of a man inside the belly of a fish. Human beings, not God, human beings have created devices that small communities of people can live in for months and months at a time underwater. Nuclear submarines submerge themselves underwater for six, seven months at a time. If human, human beings can create these things, surely God can sustain life in the belly of a fish for three days. Makes sense to me. However, if you're here today and you're like, Reed, I, I just don't know. I, I, I look at this book. It's a good book. But I don't know if it's fiction or nonfiction. I'm going to give you a pass tonight. I don't want you to miss the message in this story because you can't get your arms around the reality or the validity of the story. So I want you to look at Jonah tonight as if you would your favorite movie. 
Okay? If, you just, if this is mythical to you, or you're having a tough time grasping the validity of this, that's okay. I give you a pass. I just want you to think of Jonah as your favorite movie. You don't go to the movie because they're fiction or nonfiction. You go to the movie to get entertained. And when you go to the movie, some movies are so powerful and the messages are so real that it causes real change in your life. You leave there, you're a different person, you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better peer. Real change happens because of a real message in a fictitious movie. So maybe tonight, if that's you, and I know most of us believe, believe this to be true, but if that's you tonight, I want to give you a pass. I don't want you to miss the message because you can't get your arms around the validity of the story. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. It's also in your version app. You can click on Live Event, and you can get there. Jonah's really kind of a difficult book to find. It's one of the minor prophets. The best way to tell you to get there is if you go to Matthew. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, and turn back seven books. You'll find Jonah, and they're real small books. If I told you to start at Genesis, you would never get there. We'd be over, and you'd finally get there. Jonah's kind of a hard one. We also have it on the screen for you in a minute, so you can uh, follow along there. So Jonah. Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and prophets did not have a desirable job. They had a very difficult job. Prophets, they would have to give a message for God, and it was typically a very difficult message for people to hear. But a lot of prophets, they would go to the nation of Israel, or they would go to God's people, and at least they had the, some, some context as to what the prophet was saying. So if King David or King Solomon was in, in rule at the time, and a prophet would go to King David and present some message from God for the people of Israel, at least those people believed in the Lord. And David believed in the Lord. So it makes it a little bit easier. But here... <laughs> you have Jonah, and Jonah's given a very, very, very difficult directive because God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh, a place that does not even believe in me, and tell them they've got to stop their wicked ways, stop their violence, or else I'm going to destroy them. And Nineveh was a wicked place. It was a violent place. In fact, if they had the Olympics back then and they had, they had a, an event where you would flay people alive, you would skin them alive, and keep them alive for as long as possible before they died, they would win the gold medal. All right? Nineveh was really good. That was what they were famous for. They were very violent people. Nahum, another book in, in the Bible, Nahum talks about the Ninevites being, uh, exploiting the helpless. Uh, they were cruel in war. They practiced in prostitution and, and wickedness and, and idolatry and witchcraft. Very evil people. And God says, you must repent of those sins or I'm going to destroy you. So here's Jonah's given this message. I want you to go to these people who are known for filleting people alive, who don't believe in me, and tell them I told them they need to stop sinning or I'm going to destroy them. And you know Jonah's like, okay. <laughs> no, Jonah does what you and I many times have done, and he says, I'm not going to do that. And the Bible says that Jonah ran away from God. We're going to read this together in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Read this with me. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, or headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay, so Jonah gets on a boat and he says, I'm going the exact opposite direction. In fact, I have a map of what this would look like back then. I've kind of blown it up for you. So the A, if you see the A here on the map, that's Joppa. That's where he sailed from. 
God was telling him to go to Nineveh, which is northeast, the B marker on the map, going northeast to Nineveh. And he went the exact, <laughs> he went due west, the, the, as far as he could possibly get away from Nineveh. In fact, at the time, this was as far as the commercial trade route would have gone at the time. So in Jonah's mind, he's like, I'm going to go to the other end of the world to get away from this commandment from God. What's funny to me is he gets in a boat on the sea that God created where there could be storms that God controls. <laughs> That's funny to me. That's funny. A lot of times when we're runners, we make poor decisions, don't we? We do. We're just like, we make poor decisions. And I started thinking about that today and going, why do we make so many poor decisions if we run from God? But then it made sense to me that if we run from God, we're running from the source of wisdom and we're running from the source of truth. And so we're not going to make wise decisions if we're running away from wisdom and away from truth. So he makes a poor decision and he starts heading towards Tarshish. And uh, <laughs> just, a, just a brilliant idea. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So here comes this storm. I love this. Psalm 135.7 says, He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Proverbs 34 says, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? God controls our weather. And so Jonah gets on this boat, and he's trying to run from God, but God controls the weather, so we've got a problem. This huge storm starts. By the way, this little side note, this one's for free. Sometimes when we run from God, when we disobey God, when we sin against God, a storm or a tempest can come up in our life. It happens. Not always, but sometimes it does. A storm can come up in our lives. A storm can come up in our families' lives, in our churches, in, in, in our nation. Things can happen. Storms happen. Tempests happen if we disobey God. We see that all throughout Scripture. That one's for free. Let's keep going. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. So I love that. The, these, these sailors, think about this. This is crazy. These sailors, that's what they did for a living. They handled storms all the time. These were the best men on the water and they're in panic mode, right? They're running around saying, they're praying to their own gods. Hey, if you're real, please answer me. They're just, whoever will answer, and they're, they're dumping cargo, that's profit. They're saying, get rid of the cargo. We're just trying to save ourselves. Self-preservation is happening. And they're panicking, and the one guy who's not panicking is the one who should be panicking. He's taking a nap downstairs. That's the other funny thing about runners, is runners are often the last ones to connect the dots. They just are. They're, just, they're, not, they're not connecting all the dots. If you have people in your life who are giving you admonitions and they're giving you warnings, they're saying, hey, I don't think you should hang out with so-and-so, or hey, so-and-so is kind of a bad influence on you, or I just got a bad feeling about this, or I wouldn't be a part of that organization if I were you. If you've got people speaking into your life that you love and you trust, and they're speaking those warnings, heed those warnings. Because again, if you're running from God, you may be the last one to, disc, to connect the dots. Here's the other thought in this passage, in this verse here, is if you run from God, just like Jonah ran from God, you may hurt other people around you. It doesn't just affect you. Jonah's on this ship, but all these sailors are, are feeling the force of his disobedience. And so when you run from God, it's going to affect the people that you love. I can't tell you the number of times that I've sat with somebody who was just 
the blowback of someone else's sin, someone else's disobedience. So when that happens, when we're disobedient to God, a lot of times other people feel that force. Let's keep going. Verse 6. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take note of us, notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So even the captain's nervous. He's going to Jonah saying, call out on your God. And they're trying to figure out who's causing this. And so they casted lots. Casting lots was something that was very common. It was a customary practice back in this time, in this place. And they may have drawn, drawn sticks or they, they may have uh, had pebbles that were marked. They drew out of a receptacle. Not real sure it's gambling, but they're trying to figure out who's in charge. It's a superstitious thing. But God allows the lot to fall on Jonah because he wanted everybody to know that it's Jonah. It's only God that allowed that, that to happen. But they found out it's Jonah's fault. So let's go approach Jonah. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble on us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? That's rhetorical. They know what he's done. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, verse 13, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. See, these sailors who were calling out to other gods had more grace and mercy than Jonah did. Jonah was told to go to a Ninevite people and tell them about God, tell them to repent of their sins. And, they had, and, and he said no, and he ran to Tarshish, and yet these men have more grace and mercy towards Jonah. He said, throw me overboard. They said, no, we're going to try to row. And they began to row, and as, it, the harder they rowed, the wilder the winds got. And they weren't moving anything. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. I love that. Nine verses before, they're praying to any God that will listen. And here we are in verse 14. They're like, Lord, don't kill us if we kill him. They're starting to piece this together too. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, men greatly, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So these men, in a matter of about 11 verses, became believers. I'll make sacrifices to you. I'll make vows to you. You're real. And I love they threw Jonah overboard, and, the, and it stopped. Like the winds grew calm, which is funny to me. Like people, I love to ask people, like, if you could go back to any place in the Bible, any story in the Bible and see it firsthand, what would you like to see? And this would definitely be a top five for me. Not when Jonah got swallowed by the big fish or the big whale or whatever it was. The moment for you I want to see is this moment right here when he, like, just think about how odd this is. The, the, the sailors have got Jonah like, and a one, and a two, and a three. And he flies overboard and he hits, the, he hits the water and it grows calm so much so that everybody in the boat starts praising God making vows and sacrifices to God, and there's Jonah. He's floating in the water. It's calm now. They're like, we pick him back up? I, I don't know. 
Is the storm going to start again? Hey, Jonah. Hey, guys. <laughs> he just sitting in the water. In verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. A few thoughts here. When we run from God, God does not abandon us. When we run from God, God does not abandon us. And you can run from God. If you don't hear one thing I say, hear this right here. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Although the prophet Jonah tried to run away from God, God was in control the entire time. He was in control of the big fish. He was in control of the raging storm. And God displayed his absolute yet loving guidance towards Jonah in this first chapter of his book. I think we're all a bit more like Jonah than we'd want to admit. I think all of us at some point are selfish and all of us are prideful and all of us are fearful. And here's the beautiful thing is that God prepared a fish for Jonah to stop his running. And I believe that God's prepared something for you to stop yours. If you came into the room tonight and you're running from God, maybe it's not a holistic running from God, but there's an area of your life that you just won't give to him. He wants to stop the running. And he provided a fish for Jonah. And I don't know, maybe it's tonight's service that will be the the fish for you. But God will provide a way for you to stop to be done with the run. Jesus, so many times throughout Scripture, and I love this, Jesus was trying to help us understand his his God. And and he he kept referring to him as a heavenly father. And so you hear people pray, Father. That's the reason that Jesus, he was, I want... I want to make God approachable. I want, I want them to understand who he is. I want to, uh, to describe in a way that, that people can relate to. He, he's, like a, he's like a daddy. He's like a father. He's like a heavenly father. And so Jesus continually called God a father. And your father is looking for you if you're running from him. Right. But here's the thing. Is, is good fathers also discipline their kids. Right. Right. I'm a father. I'm a father of two boys. And I discipline them. And it's not because I don't love them. I love them a whole lot. If I didn't love them, I'd let them do whatever they want to do. And they can be rebellious and disobedient and disrespectful. And I don't care because I don't love them. But because I love them, because I love them, I discipline them. And they don't understand that. But when they get older, they'll understand, oh, wow, my dad really did love me. He didn't want me to be a, a brat. But my dad loved me. And our Heavenly Father sometimes disciplines us, but that's okay because we know that He loves us. He loves us. And next week, we're going to get to this next week, we'll get, we'll get to this, but God's going to chase down Jonah, and I love this, he doesn't chase him down to pay him back, but he chases him down to win him back. He wins back Jonah. And if you come tonight and you say, I, I, you have this idea, this impression of God that he's sitting on a throne with lightning bolts just ready to strike you down, right, because... You've run from him. You maybe you run from him in this area of your life. You come in here and you get he's in the rearview mirror for you. That's not God. God doesn't want to pay you back. He wants to win you back. You've got a daddy who loves you, and he's going to pursue you until he finds you. And here's the beauty of, of God, and this is why I know this. So I can say this with complete confidence. 750 years after this event took place, he sent his son Jesus to earth, and he did that not for what your sins deserve, but for what, I, what he gave his son what our sins deserve. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. We deserve hell. I have friends that say, if a loving God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? I said, no, it's because he is rich in love. God allows us another alternative called heaven. 
He loves us. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. I love uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, God made Jesus who had no sin to become our sin, to become sin for us, so that in him, in a relationship with Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So in accounting terms, he took all of my sin and all of your sin, that's a lot of sin, and he put it into the life of Jesus, and he gave Jesus righteousness, and he put it into the lives of those who have a relationship in him. That's awesome. He didn't give me what my sins deserve. He gave his son what my sins deserve. All of us also, uh, we, we deserve wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. Ephesians 1, 2 tells us. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 tells us. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want to give you what your sins deserve. He wants to give his son what your sins deserve. And he wants to give you life. Life more abundantly here on earth and life eternally in heaven. He wants to win you back. And so if you're here tonight, and maybe what was a thrill has now become uh, painful, an addiction. What was fun has now become debt. What was amazing has become terrible. And it's taken you maybe weeks or months or even years to connect the dots and say, you know what? What I'm doing is not working. I just want to say with confidence tonight that God loves you. You can run from God. You can't outrun God. That he, He's not abandoning you. And he wants to not pay you back, but he wants to win you back. I'm going to tell you a story. I want Randy to come up. I'm going to tell you a story that I'll close with. But, you know, we really don't know if, if the story of Jonah is the story of a whale or a big fish or some beast that's non-existent. We don't really know. We don't know. But I like to think of it as a whale. That's just, I like to think of it as a whale that just, it's easy for me. And I, I just, I really love whales, y'all. I know we're just getting to know each other. I just came on staff about a month ago. We're just getting to know each other. You're going to get to know me better. But I love whales. I really love whales. I, I, I love them. I, I wanted to be, for the longest time, I wanted to be a cetologist. A cetologist is someone who studies whales. I don't want to be a marine biologist. I want to be a cetologist. I don't care about the other wildlife in the, in the sea. I want to study whales. I love whales. I just love them. Uh, my wife, uh, <laughs> she DVR'd this documentary that was three hours long on the whales. I watched that thing like it was Shawshank Redemption. I'm just like all on that. I was glued to the TV. It was fascinating. I can tell you so many fun facts about whales. I love, I'll tell you a fun fact. Okay, so, when a, so it's eating season right now. And whales, like March to May, they're really eating a lot. And so whales, what they'll do in one gulp, in one gulp, they'll consume 500,000 to a million calories. 500,000 to a million calories in one gulp. Each human in here consumes about two to 3,000 calories a day. So we're consuming in one year what they're doing in one gulp. It's fascinating. I can tell you how they reproduce. I won't. It's church. But I'll tell you afterwards if you ask me. <laughs> fascinating stuff. I love whales. They're just incredible creatures. And so... Um, Pastor Johnson, he's about to go on his bucket list item. He's going to get to go to the Mediterranean, which we're really excited about. He's excited about going. He's not excited about leaving. You know what I mean? Um, but he's going to knock off that bucket list. One of the, the top of the bucket list for me was I wanted to see a whale in its natural environment. That was I don't want to go to SeaWorld and see Shamu in a bathtub. I want a whale. I want to be in the ocean and a whale, like in a little boat, and a whale come up. And if it crashed on me, that's incredible. Like... If I'm going to die, that's a great way to die, right? You're in heaven. How'd you go? Gunshot. How about you, old age? How about you? A whale landed on me. That'd be awesome. I love whales. So 13 months ago, 
My wife, she's a runner. She loves to run. So we went to Big Sur, California, and she ran on the Big Sur Marathon. She ran the half marathon uh, leg of the, the run. And it's along the coastline, beautiful. It's about an hour and a half south of San Francisco. And so we're in Carmel, California, Big Sur area, and uh, it's whale season. Last April, it's whale season. So I'm like, I'm going to go see a whale. So we booked a whale-watching adventure. I'd never seen one up close. I wanted to see it live. I, I love whales. I know a lot about them. So, <laughs> so we, we booked this thing. And I, like, I've been on planes. I've been on ships and stuff. But I, I didn't know. And so I went up to the, and I said, well, do you get seasick? And she said, ah, oh, some people get seasick. Some people don't. And I said, well, I don't want to risk it. Just give me the Dramamine. So I took some Dramamine, and off we go. It's on Monday morning, right after Easter. And so we're, we're, we're heading out, <laughs> and uh, we're at the front of the boat. My wife wanted to be at the front of the boat because she thought all the whales would be at the front, and we'd be the first ones to see them, right? So we get at the front of the boat, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit nauseous. And I can tell. She said, you want something to eat? I had not eaten all morning. I said, maybe that would help my stomach. So she gave me some of those, you know, those Austin orange, like Nickelodeon orange crackers with the fake cheese in there. <laughs> like six of those. I'm like, okay, that's not really helping. And I hear the captain come over the loudspeaker, and the captain says, uh, if you're getting nauseous, go to the back of the boat. Go to the back of the boat, uh, because less choppy back there. And so I looked at my wife, the love of my life, and I said, babe, I, I'm going to have to go to the back of the boat. She says, well, I'm going to stay up here. <laughs> she she wanted to see those whales, too. So I went to the back of the boat, and uh, they, had a, <laughs> they had a little seating area, and I'm just like, I'm like haunched over. I'm looking at my shoes, and it's getting, I'm getting bad. Like, I'm, it's getting bad. And this little guy who worked on the boat comes up to me, and he goes, you look green. <laughs> said, yeah, I don't feel good. And he goes, you want a Starburst? I said, oh, okay, that helps. So he gave me a pink Starburst. And it tasted awful. I'm just, I just don't feel good. And he said, stop looking at your shoes. Stop looking at your shoes. And he gave me some advice I hadn't, I hadn't known. It's really good advice if you're ever on one of those boats. But he says, don't look at your feet because... Your mind's playing tricks on you, and, and the, yeah, it's rocking, right? So you, it thinks you're on dry land, but you're not, and so that's what's making you nauseous. He said, look out on the horizon. Look at the port that we just left. Keep your eyes focused on what's fixated. Okay, all right. Well, that's good advice, but I'm like already nearly there, right? I'm getting real sick. And so he leaves, and I'm like, <sighs> so now I'm at the very, very back of the boat, and I'm like leaned over the edge. Right, and there's people around me, and we're still going and chopping waters, and, and I don't know if you've seen the movie Frozen, but I let it go, let it go. It's like Nickelodeon vomit. It was great. I'm sorry if you just ate. I apologize. <laughs> Fish food. Uh, it was awful. I felt so, uh, it was so bad, so bad. <laughs> we get out to sea. Other people around me are like, Oh, now they're getting sick. Watching me get. <laughs> so we get out to where the whales are, and we're not really seeing anything. See a fluke here and there, and then one of the whales comes up and it breaches the water. Breaches when when they come out of the water, completely come out of the water, and they slam on the water, and they do that. And the captain came on, and I knew this, but he said that that they're breaching because. The whales are all over. I mean, they're, they're coming up and down the Pacific Ocean line, right along the California coastline, and, and they're all looking for food. And if one of them finds a pocket of food, they breach, splash, lets everybody, all the whales know this is where the party's at. Come eat your buffet, right? And so he said, they just breached. This is not normal. He said, if you keep your eyes out there, they may breach again. 
So, again, I'm not feeling great, but I'm like, this is it. This is, this is my bucket list. This, I'm knocking it off. I want to see this whale breach. And I'm looking out. And, of course, the whale could be under the boat. I don't have a clue where the whale is. I can't see anything. But I'm looking in the vicinity of where the whale was. Y'all, that whale comes out of the water like a feather, like weightless. I mean, shoots out like a Pacific Life commercial. It was beautiful. It shoots out of the water. And then crashes. I mean, just. And it creates a double splash because the splash is so intense that the water collapses on itself and it creates another huge splash. It was incredible. And I'm watching this and I had a, I had a, <laughs> I had a single tear that just started to roll down my cheek. And I wanted to be mainly and go, but I was like, I'm just going to let go. You know, I just let it roll down my cheek. It was the most, because I really like whales. And. <laughs> I knew. It was neat. Uh, this is the most beautiful thing ever I've ever seen in my life. We were heading back to port, and I was feeling a little bit better. I had nothing left to give, and I was just... And I started thinking about this. I said, I knew a lot about whales. I, mean, I knew a lot about whales. I know how they reproduce for crying out loud. It's fascinating. I know a lot about whales. But up until that moment, I didn't know whales. I didn't know whales. I'd never experienced a whale up close and personal. And it moved me in a way that I'd ne- no, no three-hour documentary had ever moved me in the way that that moment moved me. And I thought about how many of us in this room know a lot about Jesus. We might even know some of this and know, memorize this. Somewhere deep down inside, but how many of us really know Jesus? Because knowing a lot about Jesus, that doesn't give you abundant life on earth, John 10. doesn't give you eternal life in heaven, John 3. But knowing Jesus does. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God loved you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, will not die, but have eternal life with him. I think about even though some of those that are runners tonight. If you're honest, you came in here and there, there's, there's an aspect of you that's running. And I think some of you might even be running from what you know about God. There's something you know about God. I have a friend who's that way. He doesn't want to come into a relationship with God. He doesn't want to know God because he thinks about what he thinks about God. And he thinks God is this vengeful, angry. And that's why he doesn't want to submit his life to God because he's afraid of what he knows about God. I'm like, bro, if you would just know God, he would move you in a way that you can only experience if you'll know God, if you'll know God, if you'll know God. And so here's the invitation tonight. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. And I want to give you a chance to, to say I'm done with the run. Some of you are here tonight and, and you've been running. If you're honest with yourself, Jonah, that's you. I'm reading your story out of Scripture tonight. And God's told you something very specifically and very clearly and yet you've run from Him. Maybe in one area, maybe in all areas. And tonight be the night you'd say, I'm done with the run. I love in Jonah 2, which 
next week we'll jump into. But in Jonah 2, Jonah prays this incredible prayer of repentance that inside the belly of a fish, submerged in the ocean, God hears that prayer. And God will hear your prayer tonight saying, God, I'm done. I'm done with the run, and I want to surrender my life to you. All of it. Maybe you're here tonight, and you say, Reed, if I'm honest, I know a lot about God. But I don't know that I know God. And I want to give my life to him for the very first time tonight. You can do that tonight. Maybe God's doing something else in your life. I have no idea what God's saying to you, what the Spirit is speaking to you. But I just ask that you respond affirmative to that. Say, yes, God. Yes, our prayer partners, come on down, prayer partners. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. We're going to pray for you. That's what we're here for. We love you. We serve you. And we want to pray for you. And so I would just ask that you would come down and be honest with them, confess to them. Hey, how can I pray for you? When they ask that, you just say, I'm done running. Or you say, I need to know Jesus. And they can walk you through the next step of what that looks like. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to worship a minute. Just praise Jesus for who he is. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to come. Let's pray together. Father, I love that you are our Father. And the good fathers pursue their children, and they won't give up until they come around. Lord, there's people tonight that have been running from you. And if they're honest, they're running maybe in all of their life, maybe part of their life, but they're runners. We've all probably done it. I myself have done it. I've run from you. And, Lord, I, I, I... and that concludes today's message. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Austin ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. 